Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you all here and see all y'all over at the Hub. It's an awesome day. You know, earlier today at the 815 service, which was the 715, put a few curtains out. People were, like, snuggled up. They, like, grabbed the curtains that we put down to, like, kind of walk off the back area. They're, like, sharing it. People are snuggled up like they're at a football game. It was amazing. It was a great day to be here early in the morning. Um, but, hey, we want to thank you so much for being here for our series, uh, Power and Weakness. And today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 17. That's where the only verse we're going to be in in 1 Corinthians is just pushing through that. And what we've been talking about is this paradox, how to be powerful, yet at the same time, we are weak people, but God in his strength and his might is powerful. One of the best ways that I can think of illustrating that is one of our values of of generosity and the value of prayer. And we say around here at Rock Harbor a lot, we want to be known by the way that we pray and what we give away. We want the gospel to go forth by the way that we pray and what we're willing to give away. So this prayer and generosity combined. And so just even this last week, we had our God can, and we've been sharing requests all throughout the last few weeks and sharing what we would ask of God, this God can do this, so I'll prayerfully ask, or God, I, will, I believe God can because he has in the past celebrating the victories. And on Monday, we got together over a two-hour period and just really prayed through uh, everything that God has done. And if you're at the Hub, you've been able to see the prayer tower that's been building over, over time. And then today here at Rocky, you can see in the lobby, there's a couple of prayer towers that have the requests. If you have time to stop by and just kind of read the journey that we've been on and what people are asking um, of God and praying miracles around. We've already seen some requests answered. Someone told me that, hey, I wrote this down and it's already happened. And so just seeing that God answers prayer, this power, our weakness saying, I need, and him coming through and saying, I can. And so this God can, the prayer is a perfect example of that. And then when I think of generosity, uh, man, this next weekend, we get the opportunity for Feed My Starving Children, the huge semi-truck that comes in. We get a package, 100,000 meals plus, and to know the generosity it takes for the finances to be provided for that to be done. And then also the service that's going to happen where we have over 500 volunteers coming out this weekend to the Boys and Girls Club. We're not doing it here at Rocky. Uh, That's where it was last year, but we're partnering and it's being hosted at the Boys and Girls Club in Meridian. And so... We'll be packaging meals, kids and families and lots of people coming in and making that happen so that we can ship those around the world. And so total between the last two years, we have 210,000 meals, I think, we'll have packaged and get to be a part of sharing a meal and then sharing the gospel. And so that's what the, the purpose of that is. And in fact, five days a week in Guatemala, we have a feeding center where we feed 150 kids. And so I did a little bit of math. I know some of you know I like math. I like numbers. It doesn't mean I know how to do them well, but it means I like them and I like the the stuff behind it. But in our feeding center in Guatemala, in San Lucas, we started with a feeding center. It's now turned into a church, 150 kids a day, which is 750 meals a week, which is 39,000 meals a year, which is totaled since we started 214,500 meals since we began our feeding center that we've been able to provide. So yeah. And seeing now that there's a a couple hundred people that have come to Jesus Christ and they've taken that step of of getting baptized and going public with their faith and now we've had almost a hundred people go down on our Guatemala missions experiences, it's generosity. This is God's power in our weakness and saying we trust him with this and we want to see God do something so much greater than anything that any human plan that we could ever put together. You know, The things of God, God promises and God delivers, right? But some of the things of the world, like (laughs) 
promise, over-promise, and under-deliver. So like when I think about different infomercials that have come through over the years, you know, maybe the ShamWow or whatever it was that you, you purchased, but being told one thing and another one delivered. I want to highlight one of these infomercials today. I think some of you might remember this. You want to keep warm when you're feeling chilled, but you don't want to raise your heating bill. Blankets are okay, but they can slip and slide. And when you need to reach for something, your hands are trapped inside. Now, there's the Snuggie, the blanket that has sleeves. The Snuggie keeps you totally warm and gives you the freedom to use your hands. So now, you can work the remote or read a book in total warmth and comfort. Use your laptop without being cold or enjoy a snack while staying snugly warm. Snuggie is made of ultra-soft, thick, luxurious fleece with oversized sleeves so you can move your arms and use your hands and still be wrapped in warmth. Super large, one size fits all, so you can stay warm from head to toe. No more cold feet. And with Snuggie, you can get up and still stay warm. Perfect for men, women, and children, too. The ultra-soft fleece keeps you totally warm, and the sleeves keep your hands free. So you can snuggle your baby in your arms or keep your pet close at hand. Perfect for chilly outdoor evenings, staying cozy and warm at sporting events. And it's ideal for those drafty dorm rooms. The Snuggie is machine washable, so you'll get years of warmth and comfort. Now you can do what you need to and stay totally warm with the Snuggie. This moment right now is one I've longed for for a really long time. I've wanted to preach in a Snuggie. It keeps your hands free. Do whatever you'd like. We're going to be receiving communion in just a minute. Um, But, oh, this is incredible. Um, It's, uh, you know, there's, this is like the real deal. Like it literally says Snuggie on it. My kids had to have the Snuggie nine years ago, 10 years ago. They're walking like Disney. They're advertising it. Like every kid's like, that looks awesome. Every parent's like, you look dumb. Um, But we bought them. We bought them. And I'll never forget the lint trap in the dryer. Like you could only do one at a time because it would start a fire. Like we're like, we have enough to make another Snuggie here. It overpromised and underdelivered in, in some ways, and then there's some ways not at all. But I mean, and also, by the way, at our 815 service, um, we're giving away Snuggies, uh, donuts and Snuggies next week. And so we can't wait to see all of you there. Um, but no, sorry, I'm sweating. Uh, you can't control the temperature sometime at the school. And so having a Snuggie is a great, great idea. Um, so um, anyways, as I continue uh, with the Snuggie, you've got to be ready. Like, oh, yeah, there we go. I don't know what that is. That's probably from first service, those little ratty kids. You go there in that service. Okay, I think I'm good. Um, but no, getting a product or something, a counterfeit, you know, saying, hey, it's going to look like this, but actually what ultimately is delivered to you is something that's different. I remember trying to fold the Snuggie. It's nearly impossible. Those arms are not, it's not made to fold. Um, and you just kind of just water it up in the ball and we had four kids at the time. Now it would be like an entire room of Snuggies. But we had four kids at the time, and I remember just like they're all like watered up. We couldn't put them away. It's like, okay, great idea, eleven ninety nine, <laughs> You know, awesome. But it, the paradox of promising something and getting something else. There's a purpose behind this other than fulfilling my dream of the Snuggie and the plaid one, not to mention. This is a special release that I was able to get. Um, but Paul is addressing literally in every church that he's planted, in every letter that we get the privilege of reading in our day and time. He's addressing false teachers. 
What's happening is Paul is preaching this true gospel, and then these other false teachers are coming in behind him, and they're saying, no, it's Jesus plus this. They're adding to the gospel. They're adding another level of something. And, and these, this counterfeit, this paradox that exists, there's a, there's a counterfeit that's happening. And what a counterfeit it is has some truth, but then there's a twist. It has some truth, but then it has this twist. Verse 17 our main scripture for today. For we're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity. As commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. To be people of sincerity. But yet there's these peddlers that are coming in and they're peddling the word of God and they're doing so for a prophet. A peddler from the Greek word kapelios is to hawk or to trade, to deal in purposes for gain. It's often corrupt. See, what a peddler would do would come in and move community to community because they couldn't stay in one too long. We talked a few weeks ago about the word sincere and how there were pots that were sold that were not up to the standard they promised. A peddler comes in and sells a product that they don't stay in one community too long because then people are going to want a refund, right? And so they kind of pedal, 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 or they go product to product, um, and they move around often because they're, what they're trying to do is make a profit. Their goal is not to make a profit. They're not potentially trying to help other people. And what a false teacher does, a false teacher is about a trade. A false teacher is trading what what Paul is saying is to live a transformed life. A false teacher is creating a transactional life. These are two different things. A transformed life versus a, tra- a transactional life. See, Paul's saying like, hey, here's what we got to do, okay? Romans 12, 1, 1 and 2, we've talked about this. So we need to be renewed in our mind and transformed in our heart, transformed in our life. The peddler comes in and says, if you do this, then you'll get this. Hey, I'm promising this. And you're going, hey, I could exchange for those things. What a peddler will do is, here's the thing, their message may bounce around, the product they're selling, how it kind of looks. They're kind of shifty. They're not founded on God's word. They're coming in and they're saying, oh, it's this, it's this. But one thing that will always be consistent, they are going to gain from this transaction. They're getting something out of it, and you are actually losing something in that process. And Paul's addressing this because it's happening within the church. And he's saying, here's what we as true teachers of the gospel, we've renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. See, these false gospels that are going around that are being sold and distributed to people, the same ones are around in our day and time. There are certain elements of legalism that took place. They were saying it was works Base. And so I want to present to you just a couple of powerless gospels. And notice the gospel is spelled with a little G because we capitalize God. We capitalize the names of, the, of God. Gospel is generally capitalized because it's talking about this life of Jesus Christ. But a powerless gospel, one of which is the prosperity gospel. That's saying if you do this, then you'll give this. If you give more, you'll get more. You want to be blessed by God? Give to God and God will bless you. This is a guarantee. This is a promise. Well, that's a false gospel. We should give graciously to God because he's given graciously to us, not so that we can get, but rather to be faithful in what God wants for us, not what God wants from us. 
And this prosperity gospel will come in and say, if you do these things, then your life will be great or everything will work out. And maybe because you're going through a hard time is because you're not giving enough to God. And there's a lot of guilt that can be involved with it. Another gospel that is a powerless gospel is that of the happiness gospel. This is like, God wants me to be happy. God wants you to be happy. If you're going through hard times, you're not having enough faith. And I talked about this for a couple of weeks, um, and so I'm not going to go too much in detail about it. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, it was about comfort, and I said, we want a comfortable life, but God wants to bring comfort in our life, and we talked through endurance and suffering. Just because you're going through a hard time doesn't mean that you're not trusting or loving God enough. And, and our, we make happiness an idol because we're like, I'm just not happy. We end up making it something that we begin to worship. There's another powerless gospel. It's that of the self-help gospel. It's like self-improvement. And we look at it and we, we almost like we kind of quote this kind of thing, like I can do all things through me who strengthens me. And we think if we just work a little bit harder and, and we just get a little bit more organized, and there's nothing wrong with working hard, there's nothing wrong with being organized, but we're nothing without Christ. Absolutely nothing. John fifteen five. apart from me, you can do nothing. So we need to be careful like the books that we read, the, the you know, personalities that we follow, the people that we, you know, really look up to or we allow them to speak into our life, we have to be really careful because does it match up with Scripture? It may sound good on the ears. It may feel good in our heart, but our heart's desperately wicked. Who can know it? It talks about this itching of ears that we want to hear things that will make us feel a certain way. Should we work hard? Absolutely. But we need to be careful, like the books that we read, the things that that we submit ourselves to and we follow it like it's a gospel and not putting it in place of God's word and say, does this match up with God's word? For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's not through our ourselves. And we don't have to look very far on Pinterest to find a few bad quotes with a really nice graphic behind it. You know, it'll say things like, you know, Jesus helps those that help themselves. You know, it, it, that doesn't, you know, that's not scriptural, but it's something that kind of sounds good. You can also find some really bad recipes on Pinterest, by the way, um, bad outfits on Pinterest, but you know, good luck with that. I've never been on there. I've just heard. Um, but, but not just everything that we hear. We need to realize that God has delivered us. Goodness comes from God. God delivered us by giving us his only son for us. Salvation starts where self-help ends. If you're trying to modify your behavior and work your way to God, you're going to come up and recognize, like, I'm empty. I can't do this. Or you keep filling your own cup with your own performance. In fact, saying, no, I'm not good enough, but God is. Salvation is saying, I can't, but God can. I've sinned, but he's sinless. I don't want to die to myself, but Jesus Christ died for me. The life I can have is by him and in him alone. We're here because Jesus Christ saved our life. Think about 
Uh, today we actually are receiving communion, and I won't have that on. Um, but we are receiving communion today. And what communion does is it gives us an opportunity to reflect on what has been done for us. That his body was broken for us. That his blood was poured out for us. And we evaluate where we're at with God. And when we think of the suffering that Christ paid for us, we can't help ourselves to any salvation. No, we surrender our way. We surrender our thoughts. We surrender our life. We surrender our mind. And we say, this isn't a transaction, Jesus. This is a transformation. And you've changed my life. See, these false teachers, they came in. And what did they do? They're discrediting Paul and they're promoting themselves. This sounds like campaigning, right? This sounds like politicking. This sounds like every single election since the TV was created, right? <laughs> you know, you, what do you do? You discredit the other person, and then you raise yourself up. You promote yourself. All the anti-ads that go around. Well, this is what the false teachers were doing. Paul had been there. Paul literally rescued this groups of people from the ways that they were living for Christ, by the grace of God, he was able to come in and to plant these churches and to work with these people. And these false teachers come in and they share this counterfeit. Some truth, but a little bit of a change. Galatians 1, Paul's writing that church there. And here's some things that he shares about these false teachings that have come in there. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. There are some. He said gospel, gospels, two different things. You know, a false gospel that goes around has been around from the very first creation of man and woman with Adam and Eve was you can become like God. You can become like God. In the garden, no sin in the garden. Satan comes in the form, Lucifer, he comes in the form of a serpent. And he tells them, you can become like God. I know God said this, but here's really what he was saying. Here's why he was saying that. He just came in and shared that with them. The false gospel that they can become like God. The false gospel that can come into our life that you can be a God. You're like, what? That's not, we can't be a God. There's only one true God. That's what the Bible says. Well, do you know that there are religions out there that tell you that you can become a God? Maybe not in this life, but someday, someday in eternity, you can become a God. How it's explained is if we're to, we're to become more and more and more like God, we will arrive at a place to where we become gods and we have our own planets and we have dominion over them, just like God. It's not in the Bible. And the beliefs sound very similar, but they're not. It's defined as a cult. It's not Christianity. It's not Bible-based. It may tickle our ears. It may tell us the things that we would like to hear. It may make us feel a certain way. But the reality is we have to cross-reference what we hear with what Scripture actually says. These are not popular things to say. There's not anybody sitting here going, man, this is really exciting. This is one of my favorite messages I've ever heard. I love the messages on false teaching. I love them. No, we like the messages that are obviously out of Scripture, but maybe approached like a more exciting topic or a funner topic like hope in Jesus Christ. Not, if you share an inaccurate word of God, you will be accursed. 
Let's get to that verse. It's in here. It's chapter 9. Let's give you a minute. Let's recover, and then we'll get to that one. It's in one minute. So what's the difference between the fake, a fake gospel, a counterfeit gospel, and a real gospel? See, a fake gospel is Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus something, and that equals nothing. See, a real gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It really comes down to how do we focus on Jesus? What are we teaching about Jesus? So if you want to identify a false gospel, is the view of Jesus, is the doctrine of Jesus, is the worship of Jesus the same that's reflected in the Bible? Who is Jesus? Is Jesus one of the gods? Whose brother is Jesus? You have to really get in and say, what is actually being said in these different religions? The gospel is not a response to good works. Good works are a response to the gospel. Because that's what we end up doing. Naturally, as human beings, we perform our way. We earn our way. Grace is earned. But the unnatural, the supernatural, the God way is saying, you can't earn it. You can only receive it. See, religion says you have to earn grace. That's saying, I did. But a relationship with God, the true gospel says, you cannot earn it. He did. He did this, so I will. Religion says, I did this, so he will. I did this, so he's doing this for me. It's transactional. Transformational says, I can't, but he can. He did, so I will. It's a surrender. And this is clearly defining the difference between a true gospel and a false gospel or a fake gospel. But sadly, people purchase from these peddlers. They purchase from these peddlers when trouble comes into their life and things get a little bit different. And if, if God was really good, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen to me. If God really loved me, we're going through pain, we're going through suffering, we're going through a higher time, we lost a loved one. Confusions come in. Weaknesses come in. Rather than relying on the power of God and faith that's there, we navigate towards feelings. I've tried that, so I'm just going to try to work my way. Or my good will just simply outweigh my bad. And the twisted truth comes in and starts to tell you things that we want to hear. And Satan begins to tell you what you want to hear. And we step back from this life and we really look at the life that Christ lived. He suffered. He went through difficult times, even to the point that when he bore the sin of the world upon himself, God's back turned. His father, God the father here, God the son here, he turns his back because the sin of the world was placed upon his only son. And even just hours before that, he said, if there's any way that this cup can pass for me, to endure suffering, to endure separation, to endure pain. But what do we want to hear? We want to hear what makes us feel good. We want to hear the happiness gospel. We don't want to hear the holiness gospel. The holiness gospel says be separate, be different, endure suffering. So we have to be careful that we don't chase the things that will soothe us, but rather chase the things that will save us. Don't chase after the soothing that can come from a doctrine, that can come from 
crafty words that could come from a feeling of like, hey, we just did what everybody else is doing and we got what everybody else is getting and it feels so good in the temporary. No, what saves us is surrender. What saves us is sacrifice. What saves us is not doing acts of generosity, but salvation can come because there's been great generosity given for us. And we reflect that because we've given up of ourselves so that Christ could be lifted high. See, there's a big difference here, but there's a slight change that begins to lure us in. There's strong warnings in Scripture to not purchase from a peddler, but there's also a strong warning, I gave you that minute, that's directed towards those whom are peddling. Verse number 8 and 9, it says it this way, Galatians 1, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. It says it two times. The Bible literally repeats itself. This accursed is an anthema, which means to be damned, to be held accountable, to be accursed. Some of the harshest words potentially in the entire Bible is given to those that would preach a false doctrine, those that would take people down a road of religion, those that would take people to what would tickle their ears rather than what will save their life, what soothes their life rather than what will save their life. And Paul, this is a passion of his because he also has been called to preach a true gospel. And he's training up young pastors and followers of Jesus to live out a true gospel. He actually gives a clear message to a man by the name of Timothy about what he should do as a young pastor. But overlaid in our passage from today, 2 Corinthians 2.17, and overlaid in this Galatians 1, and also in 2 Timothy 2, also in 2 Timothy 4, it's not just for the preacher. See, to preach means to proclaim. Preaching isn't just by what we orate on a stage. No, it's that life that we're living every single day. The message of your life is not delivered from some type of stage environment. When I'm in front of my class, when I'm speaking to this group of people, when I'm leading in a, like a grand way. No, no, no. It's lived out every single day. That's the, that's the actual message you're preaching. Because anybody can say anything, and the false teachers were taking people up on that. Because they had itching ears, and people wanted to hear some things. And they said what they wanted to say, and something that was true with a twist. Some truth with some twist. And Paul calls out in that verse 17 that we would be men of sincerity. That we would be people of sincerity. That we would be devoted followers of Jesus that would be sincere in what we're doing. To have sincerity, that's where power is found. Power is found in being sincere. You know, Paul, many of his letters he wrote from a prison because he was in jail all the time because of preaching this true gospel. And the jail he was in was not a comfort. No, it was a hole in the ground 20 feet below the earth. And you climb down in it, and there's a gate there, and it's cold, it's wet, it's dark, it's nasty. His body was failing him. And some of his very last words were to a, a man by the name of Timothy. 
Listen to what he says about teaching the gospel. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is, the ju- who is the judge, the living of the dead and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Timothy, be ready in season and out of season. Rock Harbor Church, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure a sound teaching. That breaks my heart. For now is the time that people will endure a unsound teaching. They have itching ears that will accumulate for themselves. Teachers that suit their own passions. Oh, I like this because it makes me feel this certain way. And they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off into myths. He says, preach the word. Be sincere. Be honest. Be transparent. Be real. Reflect Christ's words, the words of Jesus, the words of Scripture, in the way that we live our life, what we proclaim, the actions that we display to other people. For we've been commissioned by God. And Timothy knew that he had a commission by God and he would give an account for the life that he lived before God. Paul knew he would give this account. When I think about being sincere, when I think about being commissioned, I start to think about my life differently. I start thinking about my life's a vapor. And what if this week, it's not the last week that I preach a message. What if this car ride with my son or my daughter is the last one I get to be with them? What were my actions? What if this is the last day I get to live? What if that's the last text that I get to send? What if that's the last act at that job? Paul's writing his last letter. And he's saying, preach the word. Because a good preaching and good living will exhort one another. We'll call out some things in one another. We'll rebuke one another. We'll warn one another. We'll bring conviction to one another. We'll appeal to one another. We'll say, I lived this way and it wasn't worth it. And we'll say, what do you see in me that needs to change? Because we're being sincere. We've been commissioned. And guess what else? For in the sight of God, we are to speak in Christ. Paul's saying, just so you know, God sees it all. For in his sight, we are to speak in Christ. So as our mind begins to transition off of what Paul was saying to Timothy and what Paul was saying to the church in Corinth, what Paul was saying to the church in Galatia, what is God saying to you? For in the sight of God. We get the chance today to reflect in a response of communion. And as we receive it, in the sight of God. Are you being sincere? Are you living out the commission that God has placed within your heart? That calling, what he wants and desires for you to do. Are you following, following in that? Are you falling in that? Are you speaking in Jesus Christ? Are you living out the things of God? This is our chance to reflect, 
This is our chance to remember that his blood was poured out for us. See, we have two cups that are stacked together and one has the bread. His body was broken for us. That's what it represents. And one has juice. This is the blood of Jesus that was poured out for us. It's just a reflection of what he gave for us. And how can we sit there with big sweaty hands with a small petite cup and take just a minute to say, am I being sincere? How have I been commissioned? And in the sight of God, am I speaking Christ? For he endured suffering. It says he fulfilled his ministry. He preached the word and he fulfilled the ministry. Can the same be said of us? So both here at Rocky and also at the Hub, they're going to pass communion. This gives us a chance to reflect during this next song. And then I'll come out here, Brandon will come out at the Hub, and we'll give you some closing instructions. You can receive the communion during the song as you feel prepared, but we'll come out to dismiss us in just a short minute.